Actually, let's pray first. Lord, thank you for your scriptures. And as the last song said, that so much sacrifice went into uh, bringing them to us today. Starting with your son's death and so many of them along the years. Help us to appreciate it, hear it, and live it. In Christ's name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to the end. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, and not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we in an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The word of the Lord. It was uh, fun when I got here this morning to hear all of this uh, life on the platform from our worship team, uh, this laughter, and, and it was like a, like a party scene uh, in here, and I know they're excited to, uh, to continue to worship the Lord together and just thank them for their ministry. They're going to be playing uh, after, uh, they have so much energy, they're going to keep playing after we're all done here today, uh, so they're going to hop back up on the, on the platform. Lots of energy in the in the in the building today. Are you guys awake? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's there's a lot of energy uh, in here. Well, we we uh, <laughs> as everyone's like, um, no, so we uh, we have been journeying through the book of First Corinthians, and we come today to the uh, uh, the last paragraph, a short paragraph in chapter nine. And what Paul does in this paragraph is he is portraying uh, the Christian life. As um, uh, he's using an athletic uh, metaphor to portray the Christian life. And this was so appropriate for the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, uh, the city of Corinth, rather, not the church, but the city of Corinth would host the Isthmian Games. Isthmian, can you say that? Can I say that? Uh, Isthmian Games. These games would be uh, the year before the uh, ancient Olympics and the year after the ancient Olympics, which took place just west of Corinth in Olympia. 
the Olympics did. And so Paul is utilizing this, these, this great uh, arena that would be filled with the sporting event uh, to describe uh, the Christian life. This is what would be in the reader's minds as they get to this final paragraph of this letter in chapter 9. And we're going to begin today, Just we're, we're going to go slowly through this short paragraph beginning at verse 24. So look in your Bibles with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Paul says there, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now the emphasis here in 24 is not on the single winner, as in there's only one person that makes it to heaven or only one person that that wins eternal life. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis in verse 24 is on how that person who would win this 200 meter race or so in the Isthmus Games, how they ran and you should live the Christian life in the way that they ran that race with intensity, with with, with devotion, with a single minded focus. Uh, This runner would run and this is how the Christian life Uh, is to be lived with passion and with a a single-minded dedication to the Lord Jesus and to the mission that He has given us. We could paraphrase verse 24. What Paul is saying is that we go all out. We go all out as believers in living for the Lord Jesus, like the runner in the Isthmian Games, the one who would win. We go all out. We give, we give 100%. We're, we're, we're not distracted. We, we, we press on. Uh, Jonathan uh, Edwards, uh, one of my heroes, he has these uh, resolutions, these guides by which he uh, lives his life. And he says, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. With all my might, with everything I have. That's how I'm going to live life. And he like Paul, was committed to living for the glory of God and for the Lord Jesus to fulfill the mission that He's given to the church, to you and to me, to make disciples. Paul is giving us this athletic imagery on on how we are uh, to live. One commentator writes this, like an athlete, Paul has a single-minded goal to bring as many as possible from whatever station in life to faith. In the gospel. This is what we have been seeing in recent weeks. Paul's freedom that he has. That he's surrendering. uh, To to encourage others. And to win others. To the gospel. To faith in Jesus. Look back up with with me if you will. At verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19. Paul says there. Though I am free. He is uh, free as a Roman citizen. He is free in Christ. Though I am free. And belong to no man. I make myself a slave, a servant to everyone to win as many as possible. So Paul has this this devotion, this single minded intensity and and devotion to to the Lord Jesus and to making disciples. And and he's going to go all out in, in, in doing it. This is this is the picture that he's giving to the church at Corinth and giving to us today to inspire us to live with, with intensity and with devotion and, 
and with discipline. I got to see some of this kind of intensity uh, on Friday in, uh, in some of our people here. Uh, there were about nine of us. Uh, Brian, who uh, read scripture the, this morning, was down there. He didn't quite make it in this picture. But uh, yeah, you skipped out on that. I'm not sure how uh, you didn't get in there. But uh, we went down to Planned Parenthood uh, Friday morning. And uh, several of us, we've, we've done this uh, uh, for, for some time. And we went there uh, to, to show love and compassion to uh, mothers. Uh, abortions are uh, surgically done at that place on the day that we were there. And many of these women are, are going in, um, going in uh, not certain whether they're uh, going to go uh, through with this or not. And we're there to pray for them, to love them, to talk with them. And it was pretty exciting on Friday that we were able to talk with, with two women who were pregnant one of whom didn't talk to us before she went in, but she came out after she went in. She was scheduled for an abortion that day. She came out and talked with us and said that she decided not to have an abortion. And, and we were loving her. And, and, and one of the ladies got her phone number and has, has already been in, in contact with her and, and, and encouraging her. And we believe that having a prayerful presence down there makes a difference, even if we, you know, we didn't talk with this person before she went in. And we talked with another woman there who... Uh, made a similar decision, who wasn't, was this there with a friend, but she was also pregnant, and, and she made a, a decision. But anyway, I'm, I, I need to stop talking. The reason I brought this up relating to our passage today wasn't either of those two great things, but we're, we're standing out there in front of this building, and there's, there's um, two driveways and one walkway, and we've kind of got all three of those areas uh, covered. And, and, and just, we had a real spirit of, of joy as we were down there today, and there was some opposition and so on but it, uh, as we were down there on Friday, but it, but it was a good day. But I wanted to tell you about something that Carol did in the, in the holding the pink uh, sweater here. So, you know, we're just waiting for people to come in and, and, and talk with folks. And here, we're in a neighborhood. If you, if you guys know where this is, off Business 80, one of those old neighborhoods in Sacramento with the giant oak trees and beautiful place. You guys driven down those streets? I mean... I'm not a city person, but you almost want to live on one of, those, one of those streets with these big trees. So there's homes all around there. And here's this guy walking his dog, okay, on the other side of the street. And, and you know, we're, we're there to, to, to minister to these women, but, but, but Carol has this, this single-minded focus, and she, she goes taking off across the street to go and witness to this guy who's just walking his dog in the neighborhood. And, and as, I, as, I, as I stood there and, and watched uh, Carol, um, I, I, I thought about what Paul is saying here in verse 24. That, that we, we run the, ri- the race in such a way uh, to, to get the prize. We run the race with this intensity of this athlete. And, and we're going to go and share the gospel with whomever, wherever, whatever. And I, I, just, I was just, just blessed by her ambition. And talking with this guy, and I, I wish I could tell you that, you know, he came to know the Lord in some great story, but the, the reality is that she went over to talk with this guy who was just out for a walk in the neighborhood, uh, that he said he was kind of on the opposite side of things as we were, and he was, he was for, uh, for this uh, clinic and, and what they were doing, and that he wasn't a believer. But she just returned that with love and with her smile and with grace. And she, like the Apostle Paul, was on a mission that day. And she's running with intensity uh, the race. 
that the Lord has marked out for us. Uh, Do you not know, Paul is saying, do you not know that all run in the race, but you as a believer, you here this morning, you need to run in in a way that the one who wins this race with that kind of discipline, with that kind of intensity, this is how he's calling us to to run. How to live the Christian life. Let's look at verse 25. The the NIV says, everyone who competes, um, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And that is a very free translation of that verse. So I'm going to put the NASB here up on the screen or the ESV, which says, and everyone and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. What Paul is getting at here, again, using this athletic imagery that that the athlete, the serious athlete that would be in these uh, Isthmian games, uh, he's exercising self-control, not just in his athletic training, but in every sphere of life. It's, it's an all-encompassing thing if you're going to win this race. It's not just your athletic training. And so the Lord, uh, the Lord is trying to show us this, this fruit of the Spirit, self-control, is, is to be uh, demonstrated in all areas of our life, no matter, no matter what we are doing. Uh, it's not just when we are sharing the gospel or at church, but we are to exercise self-control. We are on a, a, at all times. So we could say that there are no timeouts in the Christian life. And by that, I don't mean that we don't rest. We don't rest one day in seven or that we don't take vacations. What I mean is that we are always on, even if we are resting, even if we are vacationing, it is to renew ourselves so that we can live unto the Lord Jesus. We are to exercise self-control in all things, in all areas. There are no timeouts. Another commentator writes this. He says, an athlete goes through anything, both effort and abstinence to win because he or she has an eye on the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of glorifying the Lord Jesus and of being on mission and making disciples. This is how it translates this this athletic imagery into the, the spiritual life, the Christian life. We need to have our eyes on the ultimate goal as an athlete would in winning the race. Another commentator uh, says, athletes who competed in the games in Olympia had to swear an oath confirming what they had abstained, that they had abstained from wine, meat, and relations in the previous 10 months. This was a, this was a big commitment. If you're going to win this race, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we are called to exercise self-control in all areas of life. This is a huge commitment. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whatever we are doing, we are doing it all for the glory of God. No matter how simple our daily tasks seem to be, we are doing them unto the Lord. Whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whether we're sleeping, whether we're vacationing, whether we're sharing the gospel with a friend, we're doing it all for His glory. There are no timeouts. Second part of verse 25. Take a look at it with me. It says, They do it to get a crown that will not last. The athletes in the Isthmian games, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it. You see that plural there? It's not focusing on just one person finishing the race, obviously, but we as believers, as the children of God, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
found, uh, so our, our, our goal is heaven. Our goal is heaven. The, their goal is to win that 200-meter race. Our goal is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, to cross that finish line and to be with the Lord. Going back to the athletic uh, imagery, I came across uh, pictures of the, the crowns or the wreaths that were given in, in those days, um, what they look like. The, the one on the left there uh, is what was given at the uh, Isthmian Games and on the right at the uh, Olympic Games. I have to say I really like the improvement to uh, gold medals. Uh, I'm not sure how excited uh, I would be to have that uh, around my neck or my head. I mean, that would just feel nasty have that thing uh, on me. I'm not exactly sure how they wore that. This image was an image that was known in Corinth. The kind of person who got that, it didn't happen without discipline, without intentionality, without focus, without determination, without sacrifice. Paul is conveying this to us. That it takes this kind of effort that it takes this kind of energy to follow Jesus and to cross the line. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Our goal is heaven. Let's look at verse 26. Verse 26, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. How outrageous would it be to go into that arena in Corinth or in Olympia, see somebody line up to run this race and they just start to, to run all over the field or all over the place. And then Paul shifts to this image of, of boxing, another one of the events in that day and today. How outrageous would it be to see somebody go in the ring as a boxer and they're, they're not going to actually land any blows, but they're going to be training, uh, they're, they're going to be fighting in the actual event as though they were training and just hitting the air. We can all relate to this because we've all stumbled. We've all gone astray. Every one of us. We backslide, we, 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 we sin, we kind of zigzag around in the Christian life and we're not pursuing the glory of Jesus and the mission of making disciples in our lives. So Paul's saying, therefore, this, this is not how we're going to do it. He's, he, he's preaching to himself and to us in verse 26. He's saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We've got to have a plan. We've got to have a plan, just as an athlete has to have a plan. If our goal is heaven and our lifestyles are not casual. Our lifestyles are not purposeless. We need a lifestyle that resembles the training, the intensity of an Olympic athlete or an Isthmian athlete. So this is, this is where preaching gets hard. It's very easy to become a legalist. I don't know what sort of training you need to do. But I want to mention four things very briefly about the kind of training, about what we need to be doing to be obedient and to to, to show our love and devotion to the Lord Jesus in the way that, that we're being admonished, in the way that Paul is admonishing himself and admonishing the church at Corinth. So number one, we need a plan to be on mission. We need a plan to be on mission. 
We're not all called to be church planners like Paul is. The guy just lived a crazy life. We're going to look at more of that in just a moment. We're not all called to live that kind of absolutely outrageous and crazy life, not knowing where you're going to sleep, foregoing a family, foregoing a wife, just going to one area, sharing the gospel with some people, getting some elders appointed, and then getting them going and getting out of there and going to another area. That's what Paul did. That was his mission. But all of us have been given a mission to make disciples. It is your mission. It is my mission. And so we should ask ourselves questions like, who am I praying for that doesn't know the Lord? That I can bring light into darkness. For Carol, this last week, it's a guy walking the dog across the street. Many of us aren't like that, though. I'm not trying to say we all need to be going down there, but we all have different areas of life that God has strategically put us in. And the rhythm of the gospel and the good news of Jesus is to be lived out in the rhythm of your life wherever He takes you day in and day out. So how do we respond to a, a, a passage like this? We don't just respond like, oh, this is cool imagery. How am I going to be a disciplined athlete for the Lord Jesus? We need to be on mission. We need to be pouring our lives into other believers. You should be asking yourself, who is it that I'm, that I'm spurring on to love and good deeds in the faith? So that's number one. Our, our lifestyles are not to be casual and purposeless. And number one, we need, to, we need a plan to be on mission. Number two, we need a plan for daily intake of God's word. If we're going to grow to love Jesus, we need to know about him and about the gospel and about what he expects of us and what he, how he wants us to live. I, I heard a, a pastor once uh, say, and I'm just going to say what he uh, said right now. Said, he said something like this, you know, if you don't have any plan, you're sitting here today and you know Jesus and you love him and you have no plan for God's word getting into your life every day, just, just start today saying, Lord, I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day today, starting today in your word. Start in Matthew. You could start in Genesis. You could read a chapter. You could just read a paragraph. That's a place to start if you don't have a discipline if you don't have the kind of training Paul is saying that, that believers in the Lord Jesus would have 15 minutes a day as a place to begin in the Word or whatever. Again, I, I don't know what you need or where you are. We need a plan for, for praying. We need a plan for getting alone with the Lord Jesus. We need to be alone with Him morning, evening, meals. When is it? What is your plan? We need a plan to be in fellowship. I mentioned just moments ago how it's hard to see our love for one another in this context in a large gathering where there's not time for a whole lot of interaction. That's why it's so important that we're, we're part of a smaller group of believers who know us, where the word of God and the gospel is spoken into our lives and we love one another and we care for one another and, and we're on mission together even. We've got four Small groups right now, some more going to be starting. We've got two on Sundays, one on Thursday, one on Friday. If you're not part of a small group of believers where you're spurring one another on toward love and good deeds and praying for one another, you need to be a part of a, part of a group. He's not designed us to go this road alone. He's designed us to go together. It's so sweet. I, I, I love my small group. I love my brother. I love all of you. But I know them in ways that I don't know you. 
So we spend a lot of time together and we end up doing other things together. Our lifestyles are not to be casual. They're not to be purposeless. We're not to be boxing the air, running around aimlessly. Final verse here. We're going to spend some time on this one in verse 27. There's controversy here. Look at verse 27. Paul says, uh, no, I beat my body. The NIV has it. Or I discipline my body. And I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So there's a couple controversial things here. First is this idea, the NIV brings this out in the, in the English, uh, in their version, as, as I beat my body. And I think that's an over-translation, if you will, overly severe. Discipline. ESV has discipline that's maybe a little bit too weak, but better. The idea is I discipline my body to the point of suffering and pain like an athlete would to serve the Lord Jesus. The idea is not I get merit and I'm going to intentionally bring harm to my body in some way. And God's going to be, I'm going to get brownie points with God because, you know, I, I, I really t- chose this hard road, that kind of thing. No. It's, it's the idea that I am willing, I am willing to endure suffering as part of my discipline for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And in the context, in the context of Corinth here, well, in fact, let's just turn back chapter 8 and verse 13. Chapter 8 and verse 13. Paul uh, says there, Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong thing. Yeah, you all knew that. I'm the only one that didn't know it. 8.13, therefore, if what I eat causes, my Bible is so folded up here, I can't even read the numbers. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul, this is one example of what it means, what it means to discipline my body. Uh, He's not going to eat meat anymore. There's consequences from that. He's saying, I'm not, I'm willing to not even not eat meat because of the weaker brother or sister and the idolatry and they're going to be tempted and going back into this temple worship and idol worship and prostitution. And so for their sake, I'm not even going to eat meat. Again, what is Paul referring to when he says, I discipline my body, I endure suffering and make it my slave? I think he's thinking of things like we talked about a few weeks ago where where when he was in Thessalonica, he says, "I, I worked night and day working with his hands, making a tense being a seamster, right? Is that the word? I struggle with that word if you, if, you, if you use it. He refused payment for being a pastor, being an evangelist, being a missionary, and he's working night and day, and his body is stressed out. He's working night and day because he doesn't want to get, give those who would think he is doing this to get money. He's, he's wanting the gospel to penetrate those 
who it might not otherwise penetrate. So he's foregoing a salary and he's staying up late at night and he's working night and day. He is living like an athlete for the Lord Jesus. Gospel, gospel advancement sometimes calls for bodily suffering. It calls for bodily suffering. That's what this verse is saying. I'm not seeking the suffering. I'm seeking to advance the gospel. And if it involves bodily suffering, suffering, I am willing to do that. And we might expect that. So that's the first part that's controversial in verse 22. The second part that's controversial is the end. He says, I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Okay, so here we get into controversy. Disqualified from what? I think Paul is speaking about salvation. He's speaking here about hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. The whole context here is about taking the gospel to others and that that Paul would share in it. So he's preaching to himself here. I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I've done all this ministry and preached to all these, I won't be disqualified. Yikes. So this raises the question. Some of you are getting nervous. You need to hang with me here. Can a person, even an apostle, be disqualified? from the faith? Hang with me, but I'm going to say yes. Why am I saying yes? Look with me at John chapter 12. Because it's happened. We have an apostle who's disqualified. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, who was an apostle, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor who was worth a year's wages? Didn't really read that right. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor who was worth a year's wages? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, as a keeper of the money bag, He used to help himself to what was put into it. I could have put any passage up here about him. I put this passage up here to show us. Here's an apostle who betrays Christ, who is disqualified. We know the story. You know the story. So this is controversial. Back to verse 27, what Paul is saying. He's saying, I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I've done all of this, so that I'm not disqualified. One commentator writes this, it would be wrong to dismiss or minimize Paul's concern by suggesting that it is merely hypothetical or relates only to rewards and not to salvation. What Paul is saying to himself is that he's seen others fall away. You and I have seen it too. We've seen people who have been following the Lord turn away. So he's saying to himself what he's going to write in the next chapter, 
chapter 10 and verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, if you think you, you've got it all together, Christian, in your life, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. This is a real fall he's speaking about, a real disqualification. This is sobering. This is serious. So what do we what do we make of this? I'm going to balance this out in a minute for those of you that are nervous. Some of you are nervous, I know. Um, but we need to receive what this is saying. Falling away proves the absence of saving faith. Falling away, like Judas did, like Paul is raising the possibility in his own mind after doing all of this preaching and all of this ministering, I don't want to fall away. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to endure suffering. Falling away proves the absence of saving faith. Just as persevering proves the presence of saving faith. Persevering proves the presence of saving faith. So I'm saying two things in tension here. Because the Bible's saying it. One can be disqualified. Can someone lose their salvation? The answer is no. If we fall away, we prove that we did not have saving faith. If we have saving faith, we are going to persevere. Does that mean that we never backslide? Does that mean that we don't struggle with sin? Of course not. We've all backslide. Uh, have, uh, what's a past tense of backslide? Backslidden. Thank you, church. I like it when you help me out. We've all backslidden. or Something like that. We, we, we've all been there. We know some people, some, some of you, I, maybe you're there right now. Happens to some people for long periods of time. This passage is screaming out that you would come back, that you would not be disqualified. This is what life is about. This life is, is a vapor. And it's going to be gone. And eternity is going to go on forever and ever and ever. And that's the focus in this passage. The finish line in the race is Glory, the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of Jesus. We need to live for that. So how does Paul say this? I, I mean, Paul is such an incredibly godly man. How does he say this? I want to tell you my, my thoughts on how he, how he writes verse 27. How is he raising the issue so that I myself will not be disqualified? Look at what he writes. You, you know this passage in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 11. He, he, he writes there, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure 
of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Do you think Paul ever felt like leaving the faith? Do you ever think he felt like, I am tired of of coming this close to capital punishment by being whipped? Do you think as he writes verse 27 when he says, no, I discipline my body and I'm going to make it my slave because after I've done all this ministry, I'm not going to be disqualified. I'm going to stay the course. Oh, I just... Our lives are so easy. Living in the richest country in the world, it's, it's like Disneyland here. I don't mean to minimize those of you that have suffering going on in your lives right now, but we just don't have... I mean, I don't have a paragraph like that in my life. Anybody else have one? We have brothers and sisters around the world that do. I don't know anyone that's part of our family that has a paragraph like that. We shouldn't feel guilty. But we've got to have the same result, and that is, I'm going to be an athlete for the Lord Jesus. I'm going to get on mission. I'm going to... I, I love you, God. Help me to have the discipline to love you more. Persevering proves the presence of saving faith. Paul's not going to be disqualified. Balance this out. I'm I'm doing some balancing here. John 10, Jesus is speaking there. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Don't you love that? If you have repented of your sins, Joe talked about it earlier at the confession, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you are one of his sheep. Nobody can take you out of his hands. Yet we see this tension in Scripture. We see it in verse 27. And if we're like Paul, even though we're not going to experience in this Disneyland of a country we live in, not going to experience what he experienced when it comes to suffering, we can experience that tension of, of fear, of living before the Lord, Balance with the assurance of knowing that we're one of his sheep. Close with this quote from Charles Hodge. He says it better than I can. He says, This same apostle, Paul, however, who evidently acted on the principle that the righteous scarcely are saved, is commenting on verse on, on this verse 27. Paul is acting in verse 27 like he is scarcely saved. But at other times, Paul breaks out in the most joyful assurance of salvation and says that he was persuaded that nothing in heaven, earth, or hell could ever separate him from the love of God. 
the one state of mind, the verse 27 state of mind, is the necessary condition of the other, of the Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is only those who are conscious of this constant and deadly struggle with sin. I think Paul's constant and deadly struggle with sin in this paragraph is I am tired of my body being beaten. And his temptation is to quit the race, not just to run aimlessly, but to get out of the arena. But he's saying no. Paul's saying no. I'm going to discipline myself. It is only those who are conscious, who are conscious of this constant and deadly struggle with sin to whom this assurance is given. We are given assurance when we think and we live like this. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you for his honesty. We thank you for his willingness to sacrifice And Lord, I want to pray for those of us here who might be feeling pretty lame right now. We know that the enemy would want us to leave this place today feeling lame. But we pray that we would feel confident. That we would feel motivated by love for you to be disciplined. And to live the Christian life like an athlete would train for the Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that you would help us move in some way today. We've covered a lot of ground. But at the end of the day, I pray that each of us, as the Holy Spirit is working even now and as we're about to sing, that each of us would move in some direction closer to you, more advanced in our training not to win brownie points, but so that you would be glorified in our lives and that the light would go into darkness. Lord, we pray increasingly that our church would have this mindset, that we would be full of athletes, training with seriousness, ready to finish, to cross the line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name.